Thank you, young people. And for the past four and a half decades, our speaker has been doing just that. Dr. Paul Kingsbury, pastor of the North Love Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois, founder and president of Reformers Unanimous, a ministry that many of you are aware of that's worldwide, lifting up the cross to those who need the gospel. And how thankful we are that Dr. Kingsbury would make a way in his schedule to be with us today. And I know that you're ready to hear him. So let's get ready with our Bibles, our minds, our hearts. And Dr. Kingsbury, you come. Let's welcome him as he does. Thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you. While you're standing, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter number one. Joshua, chapter number one. And thank you for the good welcome. And it's great to be back at West Coast Baptist College. Great to see Stephen. Stephen Worthen, where are you? Haven't got a chance to talk with you. There you are. Good to see you. And I uh, saw Tim Heady already. And uh, where's Tim? All right, right over here. And brought a couple men along with me. Uh, former student Willie McCollum. Willie, right over here. And then one of the men reached through uh, RU, but now serving the Lord uh, with us. Uh, Lucas Ferguson, raise your hand, right over here. And let's welcome these men. I'm glad these guys are serving the Lord with their lives. They mean a lot to me and glad to have them here. Now, I brought along a couple of resources, brain food. But when it comes to spiritual matters, it's more than brain food. It's soul food. All right? Now, not chitlins or things like that. I'm talking about for our spiritual soul, our spiritual lives. And uh, so I called out a couple of books, that I, three of them, that uh, I brought along with me. And to make them available to you, just so cheap, uh, reasonable, that you just can't. Uh, uh, here's uh, of the nearly 3,000 men now, that, and uh, probably 400, maybe 500 ladies that have come to us from across the country and some foreign countries for help in overcoming stubborn habits and various addictions. Uh, more than 50, maybe 60% of those individuals were... Uh, were raised in independent fundamental Bible-believing families and a part of good, sound Bible-preaching churches. But they had something in common with those that were unchurched, and uh, this is a common thread. And uh, that is uh, reconciling a God of love with circumstances that occur in their lives that, that are just unjust, unfair, unexplainably bad. And consequently... Uh, the issues that we end up grappling with uh, deal in the realm of if we don't properly respond to injustice, what we perceive to be injustices, it inevitably leads to bitterness. And uh, so uh, this is a pocketbook, and it's written uh, briefly and concisely because it's, uh, it's something you can read again and again and again and again because inevitably in life we're going to be facing circumstances, situations, people, problems, pressures, pain. And uh, this has been uh, real, real helpful. And so I, I brought along just uh, uh, 25 of those, and I think there have been several hundred thousand of them that have been distributed now in uh, our country. And then on the flip side of that they, they, is this matter of forgiveness. You see, forgiving people don't become bitter. And, uh, but it's more than just forgiveness as we think of it. It's more than just uh, mental consent. We need to learn to forgive as God forgives. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking and with all malice be put away from among you and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. 
even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Once again, it's just a few pages. Read it in just a few minutes. But it'll give you the skeleton for the uh, information that'll help you understand better what it means to biblically forgive. And that's the kind of forgiveness then that erases the pain and uh, enables us to keep from becoming bitter. And then I brought along uh, recovery through God's truth. There are 10 principles. Uh, 25 years ago, a drug addict I'd known since, since childhood, Steve Currington, came to me back into church. He was addicted to uh, crack cocaine. A lot of other mess, things were messing in his life. He'd been gone for 10 years. And um, he asked me to mentor him and to help him. And three years later, we started a program, RU Recovery. And uh, we discovered that there are 10 biblical principles that will help anyone overcome any stubborn habit, a bad habit, uh, any addictive behavior. Ten, 10 principles, right straight from the Word of God. And this has now become uh, foundational in our addictions uh, recovery program and faith-based recovery for America that we also oversee and then now useful in 33 countries. And it's just a very, very powerful principles. And I have these available. I'll tell you what they cost me. This one cost me, cost me $5. And these cost me about $3 each. And if you, Willie McCollum, Willie's going to be back at a table in the back of the auditorium. And if you'd like to have them, uh, I'd like to encourage you to go by there. And honestly, if you can't even afford, if you can't afford that amount of money, Willie will just give it to you, okay? And uh, I want you to be able to have it if you'd like it. Joshua chapter number one. You're familiar with it. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, his servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness... And this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Our gracious Father in heaven, I thank you for this conversation, this this personal address that, that you gave to Joshua as he was summoned to become the, both the civic and the military leader of uh, the descendants of Jacob, uh, the children of Israel as they're called. And I thank you for uh, this portion of scripture, how instructive it is for every one of us. And I pray that today that we'll glean from that instruction that our lives also may be prosperous and successful. And I ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
with uh, symptoms of high blood pressure and insomnia, frequent headaches, and angry outbursts and low energy on a consistent basis. John went to see his medical doctor for a complete physical. With the physical completed and uh, no real telltale signs of any kind of illness or disease, uh, John's doctor spoke with him and said, I want to ask you a couple of questions, John. He said, well, what are they, doctor? He said, first of all, he said, I want to ask you, how are things going at work? And he said, well, I'll tell you the truth, doc. He said, uh, we can't meet the deadlines. Uh, the people that I work for are not satisfied with, with that or with the performance that I'm having on the job. And frankly, I, I don't want to get up in the morning and go to work anymore. I, I don't enjoy my work. And it's highly stressful. He said, well, John, how are things at home? I know you're a Christian man and go to that Baptist church over there, North Love. What's, it, what's going on at home? He said, well, I'll tell you, tell you, Doc, the truth is, he said, it's, it's hard. Trying to pay the bills, trying to meet the needs of the family and uh, keep the children in the Christian school. And, and uh, sometimes my wife and I would just don't see eye to eye it's pretty stressful there too. Now, his, uh, John's medical doctor had two prescriptions for John. The first was medication. He said, John, I'm going to prescribe you some medication that will help take the edge off for you. And if you'll take this each day, it'll, it'll help calm your nerves. It'll help you get up in the morning. And I'll give you something to go to sleep at night. It'll, it'll help you go to sleep at night. And, uh, but he said, John, I've got another idea for you. It's not medication. John, I, I uh, recommend meditation. Okay? Now, that well-meaning doctor, in the meditation side of the equation, was giving good advice. Unfortunately, though, in our world, the word meditation usually refers to some kind of Eastern form of of worship, of Zen, of transcendental, or yoga, or Chinese, or Hindu, or guided meditation. You conjure up in your mind, as John did, somebody sitting cross-legged and being told to empty their mind of all thought. Not only ineffective, but dangerous and incredibly damaging. The kind of meditation that is popular in the world today is, is meditation that is not being recommended by our Heavenly Father to Joshua. But he is recommending a relationship with the Bible that goes beyond reading, but must include reading the Bible. He's recommending to Joshua... Now, by the way, Joshua... Had, had quite a, a, quite a training that uh, you might have thought, you know, you're ready for success. I mean, look at this. You've, you, you stood in, in Egypt. And you were there when Moses 
God led Moses and through the Red Sea and the Passover there and then the Red Sea and on into that wilderness. And you saw what it's like when people refuse to obey God by faith. You saw your generation. You saw them wander in a wilderness. Oh, God took care of them, all right. Their shoes didn't wear out and their clothing didn't wear out. And they had food to eat every day or six days a week it came. And they had direction from God with a pillar of fire and a cloud. But you know, it's not really the destination that God had in mind for them. And so you, you were able to see that firsthand and, and you experienced it. Not, not only that, you were a, a servant to Moses. Moses, the great lawgiver, the writer of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses, the the close friend of God. Moses, the man who spent time with God up on top of mountains, and Moses who spent time with God at a burning bush. And you got to be that close to Moses. You saw him in the day-by-day -day struggles of leadership and fellowship that doesn't want to follow leadership. You saw all of that. Joshua, you stood when the that uh, those spies, when you went into the land, you, you saw by faith what God could do. You saw the Christian life the way God designed it to be lived. You saw that it was God that wanted you to get over out of the wilderness quite quickly and get over into the land of Canaan. Oh, sure, there are enemies in the land of Canaan and there are walled cities and there are giants in that land, but that's the stuff that God made men for. He made us to face those giants and defeat those foes by faith in God. No man is ever fully fulfilled just simply wandering in a wilderness. No Christian woman either. But every one of us in this room today, we live in one of those three places. We're either living in Egypt. You see now, Pastor Kingsbury, you forgot where you are. You are at West Coast Baptist College. I know where you are physically. But I know many Christians that are in Egypt spiritually. They may have come out of Egypt physically, but they're still spiritually inside of Egypt. It didn't take very long for the descendants of Jacob to cross there following Moses, the Red Sea. Didn't take very long to get them out of Egypt, but it took a long time to get Egypt out of them, didn't it? And for many of them, their hearts were still back in Egypt. All oh, the onions and the leeks and the garlic. Isn't it amazing how rapidly we can forget the pain and the suffering of being slaves, having no freedoms, no rights at all. And that's the way it is in the world. When we're born the first time, we're, we're, we're members and citizens of this planet and are in a kingdom that is ruled by Satan himself. But coming to Christ, as is pictured by the Passover, does not necessarily equate with getting out of Egypt. In fact, I know a lot of people, and you'd probably do too, that got saved, pictured by Passover, crossed through the Red Sea, the New Testament tells us that's baptism, a cloud above, water on both sides, baptism by immersion. So the Bible says in the New Testament, it's a picture. The wilderness, 
many of us know people that did all of that only to go back to Egypt. We weren't made to live in Egypt. But neither were we made by our creator and designed by our heavenly father to live in the wilderness. But Joshua had all of that in his background. He now had a personal relationship with God. There was nothing secondary in this. God spoke to him after his servant Moses died. And that's foundational for any success in any of our lives. It's that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In John chapter number 8, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then shall ye be my disciples indeed. He said to these, And ye shall, he said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, biblically, that truth is this book, the Bible. Amen. And personally, that truth is Jesus Christ. Freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it is. Here we find Joshua as God speaks with him. Joshua's had great background and great training. However, there's something missing. It's more than just reading the Bible. Now, the Bible that he had, he may have had the book of Job, but we certainly know he had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had been there when Moses preached the, books of Deut the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. It's three sermons, you know, preached by a man nearly 120 years of age. Boy, what a perspective back on his life. That's why Deuteronomy is called the law and why it's so foundational and fundamental even in this passage, when he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, you need to get to a place where you're always talking, you're conversational with the word of God. That's the relationship he's saying you need with the Bible. It's more than sitting in a classroom and studying. We ought to study the Bible. Study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed. But that won't make a success just reading the Bible, just studying the Bible. It's wonderful and it's, it's right to be under the preaching and teaching of the Bible. But he says to uh, Joshua, he said, if you want your way to be prosperous, and who doesn't want a prosperous way? Who doesn't want a successful life? He said, the only way you're going to get there is through Bible meditation. Now the task that Joshua was... Uh, given were very, very difficult, to say the least. Look with me back in the passage here. He said, verse number two, Moses, my servant, God is speaking now to Joshua, is dead. Now, therefore, not tomorrow, not next week, next year, not sometime. He said, this is, you're, you're, here's, you need to start right now. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. Thou. All right, now you stop right there. Okay. Joshua had been over Jordan before, hadn't he? Came back with a report that everyone rejected. But now God says to him, I want you to go over the river Jordan. But I think he was all in with that. But here's what made it even more difficult. It made it such a daunting task. Notice the next statement in verse number two. Thou... And all this people. 
No, that's a, that's a, that's, that's, that's a big difference, I'll tell you right now. You, you, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, all right, Joshua, in your own personal life, I, I don't want you in Egypt. You're not in Egypt. I don't, want you, I don't want you to just die over here in the wilderness. I want you to get up, and I want you to go over this river, Jordan, and I want you to go over into Canaan. Okay. But then God complicates it by saying, I don't want you to go alone. I want you to take all of these people with you. Now, that's what leadership is. And that's why many, many people don't want to become leaders in the work of the Lord. It is because they're okay being responsible for themselves, but it can be quite overwhelming when this, all this people is added to the equation. So when you think about Joshua's task that was given to him by God, and these are descendants of a generation that, that failed to do what God wanted them to do. They had the opportunity, they didn't cross over. But rather than following their father's pattern, now Joshua was tasked with leading this people over the river Jordan and uh, into this land of Canaan that, that would not be given to them, of course. And he said, but which I do give unto them, even to the children of Israel. So that was the first side. Now when he got over on the other side, it was going to be obvious from the, from the Lord's uh, conversation with him in verse number 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Obviously, there are going to be people that didn't want to give up their houses. Now, you know, some of the people that lived in that, in that land of Canaan that God gave to Abraham and then confirmed to Isaac and then to Jacob uh, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, but there had been people that had lived in that land and Jericho and these other cities and 31 kingdoms that are named in chapter number 12. And they had been there for centuries, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it wasn't their land. It was land that God gave to Israel. They were not going to go easily. And the Christian life lived the way God intends for it to, live, to be lived. Is it, will, it will be such that we will continually face enemies that do not want to move. But that's the stuff that makes the Christian life an adventure. It is not designed that we should just exist. God wants us to cross over the River Jordan into the land of promise, but it's entering into a fight. But it's okay, because God says, if you'll become a Bible-meditating Christian, you will be successful and prosperous in whatever you do. Now, somebody says, well, you know, Brother Kingsbury, I'm not a soldier, and I'm not a not a, a leader of uh, a nation like Joshua. Well, so God introduces us to the same principle for the individual as he opens the songbook uh, for the Old Testament saints. Blessed, he says, oh, how incredibly happy. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He gets excited about being in Deuteronomy. And in Leviticus, wow. You say, wow, what kind of Bible meditating Christians begin to delight in the law of the Lord? Now, I, I can remember in my own life when I delighted in the love of the Lord and 
But you know the law of the Lord wasn't all that until my relationship changed with the Lord. Now, Brother Getch, I first met Brother Getch when he was, I don't know how much older you are than me, but I, met, I was 18 when I first met you, watching you play football in college. And uh, so we had the same president, Dr. Myron Cedarholm, whose haircut I really appreciate now at my age. <laughs> you know, bald head. And you know, when I went to Maranatha Baptist Bible College in 1971, I showed up on campus with my old 62 Buick Saber and had my suitcase, and I came out and uh, moved into my dorm room. It's called Cloister, right there in the main building, the old main, and up on the top floor. And I moved in there with three roommates, and uh, I put on my, I had these uh, kind of like jeans, and they were called bell-bottom jeans. Remember bell-bottom jeans? Now, at, at, at 18, the, the bell at the bottom was as wide as my waist at that time. You know, so, I mean, they really just came out, looked like kind of a sailor, you know. Outlet. And, uh, and I, had a, I had a shirt that, you know, I, it was kind of a shirt, if you saw it in, the, if you saw it in black light, it, it looked totally different than in, in daylight, you know. And uh, I had these boots, you know, that were really cool in our high school, you know. I can still remember I met Dr. Cedarum. Hmm, hmm. Yes, sir, what's your name, son? And so, I, of course, I told him my name. What do you mean? Go change your clothes. <laughs> That's what he told me. Go change your clothes. Excuse me? Oh, yeah, we don't allow bell-bottom jeans here. You know, get rid of the shirt while you're at it. Now, this is, this is my... I had, my, I had maybe said hello to him before, but, but this was really my first introduction. I met him when he came to to Michigan, actually, and preached in a conference. That's where I'd met him the previous spring. But you know, you know what? I didn't, I didn't like it. Okay. I remember they do these hair checks. And back then I had, I had hair, and, and it was thick. And I liked to wear it. I liked to, I liked to wear it over my ears. In 1971, that's what, that was cool, you know, for a guy. But they'd call you out of chapel, and they'd, they, these Professors would take these pens, you know, these guys, and they'd put these pens behind, over your ear, and they'd pull up like that. And if one hair hung over, you were going to the barbershop, you were not going to class. All right. You know, now I, li I liked school. The food was crummy, but I liked school. I, 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 I really I, I just, uh, it was, but I, I didn't, the laws I didn't like. That was, that was tough. Until until I developed a personal relationship with the lawgiver. And you know, by Dr. Cedarholm bringing me into a mentoring relationship more than just, hey, what's your name? I came to the point where it didn't matter. You see what I mean? It didn't matter. If they want my hair off of my ears, it's okay. Doesn't bother me. Now that's what happens when people leave the wilderness Christian way of living and they move over the River Jordan into Canaan living. You get there by the development, through the development of this kind of relationship that we see developing between God and Joshua 
And it is enhanced and developed particularly through biblical meditation. Now, I want to show you within the context some further instruction on this matter. If you're going to become a Christian who actually meditates on God's word, and I'm going to explain what it is in just a minute, you're going to have to be strong and of a good courage. People who meditate on the Bible are not necessarily the best people in gymnastics. They maybe can't pump the most iron. But make no mistake about it, a Bible-meditating Christian has a strength that other Christians do not possess. And God gives them a courage to face enemies that most Christians would, would fear and tremble to face. But God said to him, be strong and of a good courage. In fact, he said it in verse 6, he said it in verse number 7, and he said it in verse number 9. And Joshua reiterated it back in the book of Deuteronomy. He would have to be strong and of a good courage. Verse number 7, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. A Bible meditating Christian must be strong and very courageous. They must observe to apply, to do according to all that God has to say. My, uh, my meditation for today and tonight and starting last night is out of the pastoral epistles. And it's out of the hello to uh, Timothy and to Titus. We say, you know, Kanishawa, or we would say, uh, Bienvenido, or you might say, uh, uh, Buenos Dias, or, but in the epistles of the Bible, those hellos take on spiritual significance. And here's, in fact, this is what I found interesting, it's what I've been meditating on. When Paul wrote, by inspiration of the church at Rome, he said, Grace and mercy be unto you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. When he wrote the church at Corinth, he said, Grace and, mercy, or grace and peace be unto you from God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. When he wrote them a second time, he said, Grace and, grace and peace be unto you. If he was writing to the, 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 the Greeks that were there, Grace be unto you, that was, a, that was a, a kind of a greeting that they used. Whereas for the Jewish people, peace be unto you, the shalom, that would be connecting him to the Jewish people. And so you find it in Corinth, you find it in the letters to the churches of Galatia, Ephesus, and Colossae, and even over in Philemon on the other side. But then you come to 1 Timothy, and he says to Timothy, his son in the faith, and here's been my meditation, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Timothy chapter number 1, there it is again, grace, and mercy and peace be unto you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to Titus, a pastor on the island of Crete where it was said all Cretans are liars, slow bellies, evil. <laughs> I think Rockford's a difficult place to serve the Lord. The Cretans. He said to Titus, grace and mercy and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By making that my meditation yesterday, last evening, my meditation this morning, become my continuing meditation tonight. You know, I've already had three occasions. You know, we're two hours difference between here and Rockford, where I live outside of Chicago. So I've already had three opportunities to gain grace and mercy and peace from my Father and from my Lord Jesus Christ. 
and then to turn and give grace and mercy and peace to somebody else. I'm so glad that last night I chose that for my daily med. We carry back home little, we call them med cards, meditation cards. Why? Because I want to live a successful Christian life. I don't want to miss out on experiencing the victory that Joshua experienced and all of the, all of the children of Israel, their armies, experienced. And it's recorded for us, chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 of the uh, book of Joshua. Do you know what happened? You know what they did. Oh, by the way, let me show you the second. And this was equal, equally difficult. Okay, Joshua, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do something that Moses couldn't get done. You're going to bring all these people over into this, facing these enemies, and you're going to defeat them because I'm going to be with you. That was his promise. But now he said you're also going to have to divide the inheritance. Now, if you've had anything to do with dividing inheritances, you know that can be challenging also. He was going to have to lead in the distribution of the land, the various places where the tribes would reside. In the land of Israel, everything wasn't equal. There are mountains, there are valleys, there are ravines. It's a very diverse kind of contour in the country itself. And its resources and assets are also quite diverse. And so God gave Joshua a twofold commandment. And the rest of the book of Joshua is testimony that Joshua did prosper and Joshua was successful. In fact, when you come to chapter number 12, he names 31 kings and kingdoms. And he goes one after another. They defeated these kingdoms. Seven years. Very, very difficult. But it wasn't accomplished simply because Joshua had mentored under Moses, although that was certainly important. It was made possible because Joshua became a Bible-meditating Christian. Notice what he says concerning this kind of relationship with the Bible. He says in verse number 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now, if, if you're going to talk about something, he's simply saying here, the Bible will need to become conversational in your life. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Let me take two minutes, three minutes. You take the little word meditate. All right, if it doesn't mean folding your, your legs and humming or emptying your mind, what is Bible meditation? Let me give you four uses of this same Hebrew word, and I think it'll help you understand. And if you want to be a successful Christian, if you want to prosper as a believer, then this passage of Scripture is for you. But here's what the meditation is. In uh, Job, chapter number 27, verse number 4, the same Hebrew word is used. My lips shall not speak wickedness, the Bible says, nor my tongue utter deceit. You see, meditation is a word of communication. It's communication not me to you, it's communication me to me. You see, uh, inside of there's me, there's myself, and there's I, all right? And sometimes you need to talk to yourself. And when you're talking to yourself, you're meditating. Now, what he's simply saying here is biblical meditation is when your life, your mind is so saturated with the word of God that when you talk to yourself, you're talking biblically, and that's what leads to good decisions that then leads to success and prosperity. 
You see, our problem is between these two ears. It's right here. It's in our mind. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Change the way we think will change the way we live. And if we do not discipline our minds and our thinking through biblical meditation, how can we ever hope to, to follow the admonition of Scripture that whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what does he say? Think on these things. And the person that meditates and thinks on these things is going to be a prosperous, they're going to be a successful Christian. Meditation is communication. Meditation is imagination. Psalm 2, verse number 1. Why do the heathen rage, he said, and the people imagine a vain thing? That's the exact same word as meditate here in Joshua 1, verse number 8. Because meditation unlocks our imagination. We take a truth from the Bible and we picture it in my mind. For me, I sat down and I'm thinking of, of Timothy getting a letter from the Apostle Paul. And he's very excited about this letter he's hearing from his mentor, the man that meant so much to him, his father in the faith. And he opens it up and he says, Oh, grace and mercy and peace be unto you, Timothy. And I think, oh, I can just see him being just edified and blessed by that. And then he gets a little further on and he says, Now, first out of the gates, Timothy, I think... You've got to, there are some false teachers in the church, and you need to charge them. They stop teaching that false doctrine. Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking, wow, remember when I was 28 or 29 years of age and a young pastor had to charge? You know, I'd rather, I like the comfort side better than the charge side. You know, then I'm thinking, how much Timothy, how, how much Timothy have felt? You know what I'm doing? I'm using my imagination. I can just see Timothy saying, oh, dear God, I sure need your grace. And boy, when I meet this guy, this, this teaching this false doctrine, I, I pray, God, you'll give me mercy so that I can give him mercy. And, uh, and Father, in all of it, please give me that peace that passes all understanding. Because I'm the pastor of a church at Ephesus. I can't afford to, to not have this kind of peace in my life. Oh, God, I need what... The Apostle Paul said, he was hoping and praying for me. I need grace and I need mercy and I need peace. And you can do that anywhere and everywhere in the Bible, if we will. And God's word will then become our meditation. What is biblical meditation? Well, it's our imagination. It's also then finally contemplation. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous studieth the answer. Same word. It's contemplation. Remember the guy that's sitting like this and he's thinking? You've got to take a verse of Scripture. In fact, the word meditate in the, New, in the New Testament means to take a truth from God's Word and revolve it around and around and around and around again in your mind. Now, this is more than going to a class and learning the list of the kings or learning this or that. Or the, it's more than that. Biblical meditation is the top of the line in our relationship with the Word of God. And when we get to that point in our lives with the discipline of our lives where God will enable us to meditate on his word, it will set, so saturate our mind that we'll begin to think scripturally. And when we think scripturally, we'll tend to respond to the various circumstances that are part of life that uh, we need to respond properly unto. Let me show it to you this way. 
here's what happens to us. And I, was, I wish I could, I wish I would, had discovered this a lot earlier in my life. It would have saved me a lot of headaches in the ministry because I spent a lot of sleepless nights worried about things I couldn't even, I couldn't even change if I wanted to. Now, where did my uh, sponge go? Excuse me for a moment. I put a sponge in here this morning. Did someone take my sponge out of here? This is your brain. You didn't know this is your brain, but this is your brain. Now, hopefully this is not your brain. It's got something inside of it. It's not empty. But, um, and here, picture the Word of God. And that's a pretty good analogy. It's found in the Bible. I wasn't able to find one sponges as an analogy in the Bible for the brain, but you'll have to. Now, here's what happens. So, I say, man, I'm going to church. We're going to go to Sunday school. I should go to Sunday school. I'm going to sit and listen to the lesson. Man, that was a good lesson. Sprinkled my brain with the word of God. But then I, then I went home. And, you know, that's all I got all week. So, the, the next day, I go, to, I go to work, and somebody says something. I don't like it, and I'm squeezed. Nothing biblical comes out. So, you know, I'm, well, I'm going to stay for the morning service. And well, it was a good sermon, Pastor. Now, sorry I, sorry, I can't remember what you preached on last Sunday. But I, I know it was helpful, but, boy, I, it was great. And, I, and, uh, and then I, read, I, I read, uh, read a devotional this morning. Well, I kind of read it. You know, I had, my Bible was there, but I was also on my phone and taking, setting my schedule for the day and, but you know, I, I, I read the Bible. I read three chapters out of the Bible today. Wow. Well, that's good. That's, you sprinkle on that brain, and that's really helpful. Now you're going to go out, life under the sun, though. Life outside, you know, is going to tend to drain that out. You're going to need more, and you're going to need more. And he say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go to Bible college. Yep. Oh, you're going to get a lot more Bible, and that's a, that's a really good thing. But is it, um, here's what happens when you say, you know what? <laughs> I want God to be in all my thoughts. I, I'm bothered. I'm, I'm bothered by the way evil thoughts worm their way into my mind. So quickly. So rapidly. What can I do? <laughs> Pick a Bible truth. Talk about it to yourself. Okay, Paul. And that's what I'm doing. Good. It's really... Okay, Paul, you need God's grace. This situation, without God's grace, you're going to just blow up. You're going to need God's mercy. And you're going to need God's peace. And I want you to go to sleep with that tonight, Paul. Tomorrow morning, I want that to be the first thought on your mind. And oh, well, you're talking and you're meeting people and you're drinking coffee. And, but I don't want you to forget that Today is all about grace and mercy and peace, Paul. Because, Paul, what you need, you need to saturate your mind in a Bible truth. And then what, here's what happens when that text comes concerning the lawsuit and you're squeezed. 
grace and mercy and truth and peace come out. <laughs> when a young couple, they call and say, Pastor, we really need to see you. We're not getting along. I know we've only been married six months, but it's trouble. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Grace, mercy, and peace. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about? And how much is God in your thoughts? Are you a biblical meditating Christian? I tell you, I pastored North Love Baptist Church for many, many years before I became a Bible meditating pastor. But since, <laughs> and you know, it takes strength and courage, and it takes consistency, but I can tell you this. Mrs. Kingsbury would say to you, boy, since my husband became a Bible meditating husband, <laughs> boy, when he gets squeezed, it's sure a lot better than how it used to be. My church members will tell you. Oh, yeah, you know that Pastor Kingsbury, you know he's got a short fuse and he's pretty impetuous. And, but you know, I don't know what's happened to him. But whatever it is, now when he gets squeezed, whatever that Bible truth is that he's meditating on, that's what comes out. That's what makes the difference. So let's pray, and I want to ask you if, if you would pray right now and ask God to help you in this matter of biblical meditation. And our Father in heaven, I do thank you for this opportunity to be at West Coast Baptist College. And I'm grateful for these students and grateful for the faculty. But I sure am thankful that one day you, you taught me uh, what I've just taught them about biblical meditation and uh, I pray, Father, that this would be so helpful that, and beneficial to them as their journey in life. And if there's somebody still in Egypt, I pray that they'll get out of Egypt. If they're in the wilderness, I pray they'll move on over into the promised land. But they're going to have to become a Bible-meditating Christian to do it. In Christ's name I pray.